Take your Bibles and turn to the book of 1 Timothy, Paul's epistle or letter uh, to Timothy, a pastor in Ephesus. We'll read for you the first chapter as we look at the closing verses of this first chapter of 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the command of God our Savior and of Christ Jesus our hope, to Timothy, my true child in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine nor devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies which promote speculation rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. The aim of our charge is love. That issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Certain persons, by swerving from these, have wandered away into vain discussions, desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they are saying or the things about which they make confident assertions. Now we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully, understanding this, that the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane, for those who strike their fathers and mothers, for murderers, for the sexually immoral, men who practice homosexuality, enslavers, liars, perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine in accordance with the gospel of the glory of the blessed God with which I have been entrusted. I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service, though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and an insolent opponent, but I received mercy." because I had acted ignorantly and in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. But I received mercy for this reason that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. To the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. This charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare, holding faith and having a good conscience. By rejecting this, some have made shipwreck of their faith, among whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. This is the word of the Lord. We're in 1 Timothy, and we're going to look at the, um, the last few verses, uh, verses 18 through 20. 
And it is, once again, a revisiting of this charge that um, was spoken of earlier in the the chapter um, in verse 3. This charge that Paul, the apostle, gives gives to Timothy. And this section is very focused on pastors. And you might say, well, okay, um, what's the application? You know, why should, um, as a Christian, why do we need to sit through this, this next 30 to 40 minutes of, of teaching on these verses when this pastor or elders is really directed more at you? I, I think what this does, I believe what this does, is it really helps us understand the nature of church and what's happening in church. You know, so there, there may not be this, um, this like, clear response that you have this morning, but it is one of those things that adds to your understanding of how um, pastors and parishioners, church members, attenders, interact with the body of church. Um, and, and it's giving us this particular perspective here. Paul is directing a passage, it's a pastor, and it's important that from this passage we have this perspective in what is really happening. Spirituality in our day is, is quite popular. Uh, um, and uh, you, you have your, your smartphone and you can add a spirituality app to your, to your smartphone. And you think about that when, when just your average non-religious person thinks about spirituality. What are they doing when they add that app to the operating system of their life? You think about those apps. In fact, I would encourage you, not, not right now, um, but sometime just cruise through the spirituality apps. They're about meditation. They're about, but, but look at, and you just ask this question, what are these adding to the operating system of most people's life, right? Most of them are, you'll find these, these apps, for example, um, an app for meditation. And then read the description, in the description, it's, it's saying, oh, it's going to reduce stress. Um, it's, it's going to cause focus in your life. It's, it's going to do this and that for, for your, your life. And I think many times, um, and I'm including pastors in this, not just church people, we add Christianity to the operating system of our life like we add an app. And what the Bible tells us here, what the Bible is showing us by instructing pastors is that Christianity isn't an app that we add to the operating system, but rather it's a transformation of the operating system itself. There's something else happening. Christianity isn't something, Christ isn't something that you can add to your life like you add a a spirituality app to a phone, what most people think spirituality is all about. Rather, it's an absolute reformation of how you look at life. I think most pastors look at the church um, through the lens of a business, um, through the lens of self-improvement, um, through, the, through the lens of helping people do good. But here Paul is not instructing Timothy in that way at all. Um, this is uh, about something much deeper. So here's where we're going to go today. This passage that's before us today, um, we are going to learn more about the work of ministry. So I'm really trusting that the Spirit of God is just going to do His work in your life 
as you think about ministry today through this, this passage. Here's what we're going to, to learn. We, we learned that to enter ministry, one must be called. To enter ministry, one must be called. And those called must be prepared to engage in warfare. That's what Paul tells Timothy. And this spiritual warfare must be conducted in faith and with good conscience. Okay, so, so this is, this is what, how we have to reframe when we think about what is happening when we enter into what we call church. Um, Paul says, Timothy, he, be reminded of your call. You're called. There's a, there's a war that you're waging, and here's how this war needs to be waged. It must be conducted in faith with a good conscience. In faith and with a good conscience. So very quickly, let's look at these three things um, this morning. Um, as, we, as we look at 1 Timothy 1.18, it says, This charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you. Um, so the, the word called is not found in, in this passage. You're not going to see that word called um, that's, that's here. In the same way, um, last week when we looked at Nehemiah, Nehemiah was clearly called, and when we looked at that first chapter, the calling of Nehemiah and his prayer, um, but yet there is, a, there is a calling. So in verse um, 3, um, A of the, um, of the verse 3 of, of chapter 1, there is this word charge. Paul is charging him. It's an order. It's a, it's a command. He, he charges him to do certain things as a minister of the gospel. Um, and then he inserts his, his testimony into that charge. This charge, I entrust you. Um, he says that he entrusts him. Entrusts him with what? Well, we, if we were to go over to 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2, it says this, And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So we see this pattern. There's a pattern of, of what pastors are to do. And Paul, the apostle, is, in, is charging, he's entrusting Timothy to do this work. The work of the ministry is to be entrusted to what? Faithful men from generation to generation. Elders have a particular responsibility to make sure that, that there are faithful men who are raised up to teach the gospel generation after generation. Now, this is a concern for the whole congregation, but the charge is to elders. The work of the ministry is to be passed along from minister to minister, generation to generation. And Paul says this. He, he says, look how he addresses him then, then next. He charges him. He, he entrusts this ministry. And he refers to him as my child. A term of endearment. Um, Timothy was the spiritual child of Paul. And then he gives him this encouragement. So he's coming to him as an apostle to a pastor, but also as a spiritual father to, to one that is struggling. Because look what he says next. He, he charges him, he's, he entrusts him as, as his dear son, as his child. And then he says, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you. And what are these prophecies? We don't know. We don't have a record um, of what the prophecies are about. Um, there, there were, as in the Old Testament, in early in the New Testament, 
um, there were prophets. The apostles functioned in this way. It was a foundational ministry of the church. It was not a perpetual ministry of the church. Why do we don't have um, apostles today? Um, but you might remember back in Acts, Acts 21, 11, Agabus, the prophet, he came from Judea to Caesarea, and, and let me quote from Acts 21, verse 11, and he took Paul's belt and bound his own feet and hands and said, thus says the Holy Spirit, this is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns the belt and deliver him over into the hands of the Gentiles. We could look at other examples of New Testament, early in the church, New Testament prophets that were there. You could look back at Acts chapter 13 and verse 1, um, where Paul um, and, and Barnabas, and it says, um, we read this in Acts 13, 1. Now there was, were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas and Saul, who, who became Paul, and others, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and prayer, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, from which they sailed to Cyprus. So there were certain prophecies. This happened early. We don't know what the prophecies were uh, about Timothy, but Paul is reminding them. Why? Well, this letter finds Timothy, as you read through the letter, and you read the, the, the tone of the letter, um, and you understand where Timothy's at. He's very discouraged. It's difficult. The ministry that he's in is, is difficult. And so Paul is reminding him, take courage, persevere. Don't be discouraged. Remember the prophecies about you. Now, so th there's this idea in this of, of calling. It's an, it's an outward calling. Paul to Timothy, reminding Timothy of God's calling on his life through these prophecies. Again, we don't know what they are. But let me just say a little bit about calling because we see this in Scripture. That the calling has both an inward calling um, that is subjective, and it has a, there's, a, there's part of a calling that is outward and objective. So there's an inward calling that's subjective, and there's an outward calling um, that, is, that is objective. What Paul is doing here for Timothy is he's reminding him about that outward calling, that call to the ministry, to encourage him. Why? Because inwardly, right, we all get discouraged. Inwardly, um, we, we all struggle. And, and sometimes inwardly, we say, whether we're in ministry or not, why in the world am I doing this? Why am I going through this? You see, th that kind of thinking um, is where we go back to, well, why does someone who has a secular mindset, why would they add spirituality to their life? Well, because they are looking for ease. But why, was, why does somebody come to Christ? Why does somebody lay down their, their life and pick up the life of Christ? Because he laid his life down for us. Why, why is there this, this exchange and transformation we call salvation where we lay down our life of sin and we 
pick up the righteousness of Jesus that he gives to us freely because of his work on the cross. Because the Christian life is about a life of transformation. It's about a life of calling. And a life of calling is never promised in the scriptures as a life of ease. And so here, Paul is writing to Timothy, and he's, he's talking about this calling. Um, it, he, you, can, you can go in and look at this and look through the, the, the letters that are written by the apostles about the calling of pastors. Peter writes about this. He, um, he says, shepherd the flock of God, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have him, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. First Peter chapter 5 and verse 2. And so there's an inward and subjective calling that if someone is to be in ministry, that they desire to do that. There's an inward desire. In fact, in 1 Timothy chapter 3, it says, if anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. And so there's an inward and, and subjective calling, a desire to, to be in ministry that God places in someone, but it's also there's also an outward calling that's a, applied to the individual by the Spirit through the church, right? It's it's not just an individual who shows up and says, "I really need to go into ministry." I, 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 God's called me into ministry. Why is that so dangerous? Well, it can be dangerous one because it's just simply subjective, right? They they're just looking at what what that ministry is all about and thinking like, it doesn't involve a lot of heavy lifting. I don't get my hands dirty. That looks really good. That can be dangerous. And it can be dangerous because they don't understand actually what, what the next point is. Oh, we're not there yet. That it's actually spiritual warfare. Right? It's just subjective. That's why there is this objective calling. A person that's called is not just called simply by saying, hey, pick me. I think I, I think I should go into ministry, but rather the church confirms that, that the Spirit of God is working in an individual's life. It is an objective calling. And that's what Paul is reminding Timothy here of this objective calling on his life. There, there was the, the church through these prophecies that said, Timothy, you are called. We see the Spirit of God. In you, and he's encouraging him. Why? Because ministry in Ephesus is difficult. Ministry is hard. And so there is this expectation that Paul has of Timothy, and he's, he is calling him to his calling. He's saying, you need to persevere because the Spirit of God is on your life. Remember that you were called. You know, every member of a church, of, of every church, should be Concerned to know what God expects from pastors. We need to know about the qualifications of pastors. We need to know what the job entails. All of us need to understand this. So that when we see God's calling on an individual's life for ministry, we take that very seriously. That we inspect that individual's life. So we take that very seriously. Why? Because those who are called must be prepared to engage in warfare. Right, that's why. Be sure, and this, this, is, this is all pastors. So when we talk about pastors, um, there, there are multiple words in the New Testament that refer to the same office 
of pastor. So there's, there's the word shepherd. Right? There, there, there's the word elder. Right? So those, those words refer to pastors. We have, people will refer to me as pastor. I, I do this vocationally. But we also have other pastors in this church. We, we refer to them as elders. They have the same job I have. They just don't teach all the time. But their job and their calling is the same. And we have to understand that there's a calling on men's lives to pastor, and those that are called must be prepared to engage in warfare. That's what Paul is telling Timothy, right? So, you know, you think about that, you think about the, the, the mindset that just simply adds the app to their, their phone, the spirituality app. Are they prepared to enter into warfare? No. What they want is calmness. What they want is less anxiety. Um, if you are called, you don't get any of that. <laughs> you, you get spiritual warfare. That's what Timothy is engaged in. And Paul wants to strengthen him. Because this life is a fight. That's what it is. And, and so if the pastors are prepared to engage in spiritual warfare... Um, they're the ones that are leading, they're on the edge. What do you think you and I, as a part of the church, need to be ready to engage in? Spiritual warfare as well, and it's all around us. So we must be prepared to engage in spiritual warfare. That's what he says, look at verse 18, I charge, uh, this charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare. That by them. This indicates that he was fulfilling his ministry. And that Timothy, in order to fulfill his ministry, he'd have to engage in difficulty, warfare. It's a struggle. It's a struggle. You know, it sounds um, strange to someone who are, who's unfamiliar with the demands of ministry. Um, in fact, we can imagine that the vast uh, majority of people who go into ministry will underestimate the warfare that they face. Um, and the reasons for that are many, but two come to mind. One, um, some are raised in church traditions where church members and ministers of the gospel do not engage in warfare, but pursue a life of ease. There are, there, are, there, are whole, there are whole streams of Christianity that say warfare is what you avoid, and your best life now is what you engage in. That, that's, that's there. And there's, there's churches and pastors there, there are, the, the Bible says that there are people who, who, want, who want their pastor to say what they want to hear. And, and so they move into this stream of like, I'm not going to engage that because, you know, when I greet people at the back door, I'm not going to get a whole lot of, that was a really good sermon today, pastor. No, I'm going to get a lot of grouchy looks and disgruntled individuals because I didn't hear what I wanted to hear. I didn't get that recharge for the week that I really wanted from Sunday morning. You know, 
I'll be honest, like these verses, you know, I look at them at the beginning of the week and, and you study them through and you're like, okay, this is Paul charging Timothy. What's there for the people of God? Like, how is this going to make like a really big difference in your week? Well, I believe it can. I believe it can totally transform how you look at, at, at church. But let me ask you, is that what you came here for? This, I bet you this was the furthest from most of your minds, including mine on Monday morning. But yet this is God's word. And God knows what we need before we need it. And so there are some that are raised in church traditions where church members and ministers do not engage in warfare but pursue a life of ease. Second, it's really difficult for those not in ministry to gain a clear view of what ministry actually entails. That's why we have this kind of scripture. You know, I suppose that that's probably, um, that's probably true of most professions and um, most things that we don't really know what we're getting into till we get into it. Um, I think it would be difficult to expose people to the rigors of ministry without actually going into ministry. When do people see their pastors the, the most? Right here on Sunday, um, preaching and and uh, that's where we see pastors the most, but the ministry involves far, far more than preaching on the Lord's Day. You know, in fact, um, some ministers are trained, and they are trained so much to pulpit ministry, as central as it is, and it is central, right? It, it is central. Um, somebody this week sent me um, a, a Babylon Bee article, and it was what the pulpit says about your pastor. And you can go look it up later, please. Not, not at home. Keep watching. Um, and it's really, it's really good. We, you can believe it, okay? Read that Babylon Bee article. Go ahead and Google it or whatever. And I will affirm that it is true. <laughs> um, but most of what we see is the pulpit ministry. Most of what we see is the, the pulpit ministry. But there's so much more, and, and there's some that just simply trained a pulpit ministry. There's so much more. Um, friends, ministry is warfare. Ministry is warfare. If you get involved in people's lives, if you want what God wants, not what you want, but what God wants for other people, you're going to find that you're on your knees in spiritual warfare saying, I don't see a way ahead this is difficult. Your heart will break. It's warfare. It's a struggle. I, I love, and I'm going to paraphrase C.S. Lewis, um, there are those that, that don't get into ministry, those that shrink back from ministry in their lives and in the church because of the heartache, because of the difficulty. In fact, there's some that, that get hurt, and what they do, C.S. Lewis says, well, you know, you want to avoid heartache? Then you take your heart, and this is a paraphrase, and you lock it in a box, and you put it away, and you hide it, and there it will harden, and it will shatter into a million pieces. Paraphrase. You can't avoid heartache in this world. You can look for ease in isolation, but there your heart will wither and break. So which is it? Will it be in ministry? Or will it be in self? And so 
Paul is reminding Timothy here that, yes, this is difficult. It's warfare. In 2 Corinthians 11, Paul talks about his suffering. Listen to this. It's really interesting what he says. He says this. He, he lists um, his imprisonments. So this is Paul listing his imprisonments, his beatings, the fact that he was shipwrecked, that he was hungry and thirsty. And among other things, this is what he adds. And apart from the other things, there's the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. What was heavy on his heart? It was people like you. I mean, here's a guy who's shipwrecked, beaten, left for dead, imprisoned, and what is on his heart? What is causing him anxiety to take that anxiety before the Lord? It's the spiritual condition of his people, of God's people. Now, I don't say this, that you might feel sorry for me or for our elders. Um, that's not at all. We are happy. We are joyful to do what we are doing. We are blessed to serve the church. I, I share this because it's from God's word, and I share this with you that you might know how to pray, and that when the time comes, you will know how to uh, appoint elders that, that they might that they might do the job well so that you know what the job entails. That's why we have these kinds of scriptures. So that you know what this office entails, that it's warfare. If you're called and you're fitted, then you will happily take up the work. You'll do the work and you'll do it joyfully. But if you're not called and fitted, fitted you will languish under the burden. Before we move on to the final point, uh, let's look at the nature of this warfare. What kind of warfare is happening here? It's clearly spiritual warfare. Paul says this in, in, in um, 2 Corinthians 10, verse 4, For the weapons of our warfare are not flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. Who's the enemy that ministers fight against? Verse 20, right? We fight the evil one. Right, evil when it manifests itself in many different ways. We war what is Paul instructing Timothy? He's instructing him to to wage war against falsehood, to speak the truth, and the goal is love, out of a pure heart, out of good conscience, and so. Paul is charging Timothy in this spiritual battle to preserve and promote the church, the truth, um, that as a minister, he must wage war against sin, the sin of others within Christ's church and his own sin. So ministers of the gospel are to come alongside those entrusted to their care to help them fight against sin, all the while fighting their own sin. So we see here that an elder must be called. Um, he's called to engage in warfare. And then finally, it must be conducted in faith and with a good conscience. Um, here, faith refers to personal faith and trust in God, in Christ, in the truth, in the truth of his gospel. Uh, but how will a minister help others to grow if their faith is weak 
And how will they persevere in warfare unless their faith is strong? And here, Timothy is struggling. You can see this throughout 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy, that those in ministry struggle, and Paul is coming alongside, and he's encouraging him. Because there's two, there's two sides um, to this warfare in faith with a good conscience. There's two sides of this. He says, faith, have strong faith, and a good conscience. A good conscience. He's talking about the warfare against sin. And there's two sides to this. There's sin in a minister's own life, and there's sin in the congregation. And we need to be fighting both. And so he says you need to have faith in good conscience. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 16 says, Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this so that by doing so, you will save both yourself and your hearers. And so there's this close watch on your own life and the constant confession of, of sin. You know, some sins, as we will see, um, disqualify a pastor for ministry. Um, but a pastor is called to be walking the walk of repentance, to continue to take his sin and to fight sin in his life, as well as to wage warfare on the sin that is in the church. And how do we do that? It begins by faithfully preaching the word of God. The instrument in both is God's word. Um, that is why um, at, at Northbridge, preaching is the center of our church, and the study of the word of God comes out of that. There is no other instrument, right? There's no other instrument that will do the work on our soul, on our heart, and on our life except for God's word. That's it, right? So here Paul is saying, take the gospel, apply it to yourself, and preach the gospel because Timothy's struggling there in ministry. Why? It's warfare. It's tough. It's hard. And if you enter into it, it will be difficult. It will be hard. And you will need encouragement. And that's why, the, that, that's why we are called, and that's why we chose the, the, the call to worship because we are to hold fast to the word of God doing what? Encouraging one another, stirring one another up to love and good works. We are to embrace one another in a different way than we embrace the gospel. We are to recognize that we all fall short and the only one who does not is Jesus himself and he is our substitute. He gave his life for our sins. We are to hold fast to that because that is our only salvation and we are to encourage one another in that because you and I are not each other's salvation. Right? Yes, praise God. You're probably saying that of your pastor. And you should, and we should say that of each other. Jesus is the only Savior and King. That's it. And so he's saying, Timothy, hold fast to these things. Wage war in your own life against sin, as well as preach the word so it might do its work. And I think there is an application that you can talk about all week long. And then he gives an example he gives an example of individuals who did not do this. Verse 19, by rejecting this, 
Some have made a shipwreck of their faith. A shipwreck of their faith. Hymenaeus and Alexander. Um, in 2 Timothy 2.16, Hymenaeus, um, he mentions Hymenaeus again, and he says this, but avoid irreverent babble, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness, and their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, who have swerved from the truth, saying the resurrection has already happened. What's the doctrinal issue? It's the doctrine of the resurrection. The, the resurrection has already happened. They are upsetting the faith of some, but God's firm foundation stands, bearing this seal. The Lord knows who are his, and let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. Paul also names another individual that life was shipwrecked. In, first, in 2 Timothy, I'm sorry, chapter 4, verse 14, Paul says, Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. And Paul says, what does he say of these individuals who have rejected the waging of warfare in their own life and in, in proclaiming the truth of, of the gospel? What does he say in, in that passage there? He says, by rejecting this, some have made shipwrecked of their faith, among whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan, that they may, not le- that they may learn not to blaspheme. Right? So Paul is telling Timothy in this waging of war that there's discipline of your own soul, but there's also the discipline of those that are in your charge. And here he has clearly, Paul has said, look, here's an example of individuals where I've had to point out how they have shipwrecked their own faith. They're leading others astray so as to make clear where they are going astray and to make clear what is false and the falsehood of their teaching we have publicly declared this and, and we're asking, we, we, are, we are rejecting what they say. They, they are unrepentant. And so he, he uses this language, which is strong language, that they've handed him over to Satan that they may learn not to blaspheme. That's very strong language. That the goal here is that they might be restored, but sometimes you can't always help someone. You can't always help someone. And, and the reason is, you know, these individuals were, were teaching and Paul had confronted them multiple times about the error of their teaching and the error of their life. But they decided they weren't going to what? They weren't going to change. They weren't going to change. You see, any time that change takes place, it is, it is a work of God. Now, Paul has, he's, he, Paul has a heart for those who blaspheme. And pa- Paul is, like, he's, he's going to write, when you see this kind of language, you're going to see it in First and Second Timothy. I mean, I, I, would, I, would, I, would, I will warn you, if you want to hear some things culturally that you do not like, then come on back for this whole series. Because First and Second Timothy are as absolutely countercultural as we, here he's saying, exclude, right? But we, talk, we opened the service up talking about inclusion. 
But, but Paul's not saying inclusion without boundaries. There's, there are barriers and there are bridges, right? There is one way to salvation, and that is Jesus. There's the bridge, but the barrier is what? There's only one way. And people want lots of ways, right? We want our own way. And Paul's saying that's not how it works. But he has a heart for people that blaspheme. Why? Because he was a blasphemer. He was a persecutor of the church. And so what you're going to see is Paul is saying that there are those that you should exclude and you should point out because they're unwilling to change. But Paul is extremely patient. Why? Because he knows what it is like to be going down the Damascus road, breathing out threats against the church of God, and then to be gloriously saved, having accepted the truth. Paul is one that pursues people who are going astray. But at the very same time, he is willing to say, well, you know what? Sometimes you have to shake the dust off your feet. Sometimes there is the, you know, the, the rich young ruler, right? Who Jesus says, here's one thing that you need to do. And what happened to that rich young ruler? He was unwilling to do the one thing Jesus said. And what did he do? He went away sad. Because why? He simply wanted a nap. And Jesus doesn't come to add an app. He comes to totally transform the operating system. And so that's what you get when you get church. That's what you get when you get a pastor. That's the role in the ministry of pastor. Make sure you're called. Make sure our elders are called. Because why? They have to wage warfare. And that warfare is both within their own soul as well as in the lives of other people. But they need to have the heart of Paul, right? They need to have the heart of, of Paul that pursues. And they need to have the heart of Paul um, sometimes poured into their own heart because if in reality as elders and as pastors, as leaders in the church, sometimes we have the heart of Timothy that is timid and fearful. Fearful of mankind rather than fearful of God. And so we need Paul's encouragement to remind us of the calling that we have been called, to remind us that we are called here to wage spiritual warfare, and we are to do it by faith and with a clear conscience. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the scriptures this morning. We thank you for what they teach us about church and the nature of the ministry by which we are called um, as pastors and as followers of Jesus. And Lord, I, I pray this morning um, that your spirit would work in our lives, um, that you would apply the, the word of God where it is needed and where it is necessary um, in our lives. May, may the truth of your word work and do its work deeply in our hearts as we pursue the ministry, whether that's as an individual, a ministry within our own lives, our home, maybe small group leader or deacon or elder, one who serves the church in a particular area, one who has a ministry and calling that is in the community to proclaim who Jesus is. Lord, forgive us of wanting to add you to our life. 
and not allowing you to absolutely radically transform us. Lord, help us as pastors and ministers to wage good warfare. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.